And look at it go. He could go all the way. Touchdown. 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 The Bills make me want to kick your heels up and shout. Coming up the middle. Free safety. Gotta get it go. Allen steps up. Jumps over the defenders to pick up the first. Come on and shout. Kelly with a deep drop takes a long look. He's got a man open. Andre Reid, he's in the end zone for a touchdown. How do you do? One second remaining on the clock. Jack Eichel wins it in overtime. Let's go, Buffalo. Let's go, Buffalo. The Bills make me wanna. Nobody. Circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 58 of One Before I Die. We got a loaded episode on tap for you guys today. Um, it was a tough one Tuesday night against the Titans, but we're here to break that all down. So today's episode got coming for you a little bit of that recap, um, break down everything that happened there. Um, obviously, the Chiefs game that was supposed to be Thursday night got moved to Monday, so we're going to be previewing that. And then we also got some hockey news. Who would have thought that? more positive Buffalo sports news would be in the hockey world than the football world. But that is the case. It seems this past week. So we'll be talking about the Sabres signing the big fish on the market, Taylor hall, as well as some other guys on the market. Um, and then the NHL draft also happened within this past week. So we'll be breaking down what the Sabres did with their picks there. But like I said, we got a big one here. Um, Excited to talk, excited to kind of break everything down, but also a little bit depressed on what happened Tuesday night against the Titans. But without further ado, let's introduce Ethan, and then let's get rolling here on episode 58. I guess first, it's not a victory Wednesday. Um, for, first game, not not victory day, so it's always tough. But like you said, um, very surprising news in the Buffalo sports world that um, the positive side of things is going to be coming from the Buffalo Sabres side. Very excited to hear, you know, to get into the Taylor Hall signing, but we do got to get into uh, the Bills-Titans game, Tuesday Night Football, which was an absolute gong show, um, kind of uh, maybe a little bit of a reality check. Yeah, and it's tough, man. It's a tough one to swallow, tough to find a lot of positives after, on, in that one after, you know, it's the first first national stage that this team gets put on, and after, you know, a solid four weeks, a lot of hype around this team, we just get the doors blown off of us, and and you just got to move on from this, but yeah. And it's always, you know, the first loss of the season is always just tough. Um, I mean, especially, you know, I try to stay level headed over here. I, I think a lot of bills fans try to stay level headed. Um, but when, you know, when we have the amount of success that we've had in the first four games in, in this amount of time, um, or I'm sorry. And, you know, we've only had this amount of success the first time in a while, I should say, like I said, last episode, first time since 2008 being four and oh, um, bills, you know, aren't historically a great football team. And then you go four and oh, and you get your first loss. You kind of want to overreact. It, I've seen a lot of memes and things on Twitter, which are, are pretty funny where it's, you know, we're all happy for, no, we get one loss and now we want to jump off a bridge. Um, so you don't want to overreact too much, but it, it was a tough one to watch. You brought up the fact that it was on the national stage. That's what hurt me a lot too. And I know it doesn't matter if this was still a game on Sunday at 1 PM, you know, at the end of the day, we still got absolutely pumped and it doesn't matter that it was, it was on a Tuesday night with everyone watching, but at the same time, 
to me at least, uh, you know, you get all your friends chirping and saying, well, what's this team all raving about being 4-0? And you come in here, you lose 42-16 to with everyone everyone watching on Tuesday night. So the national stage definitely doesn't, you know, help the the whole Buffalo cause and the whole Josh Allen thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's time that we kind of dive into the details and, and see what the hell actually happened. Um, but like I said, it was a 42-16 to loss, just an absolute – uh, just a good old fashioned butt whooping, you could call it, I guess, um, at least uh, from the score standpoint. But the the couple things I want to start off on, and these are kind of a general um, synopsis of the game. And this is more, you know, personal. I'm going to put my hand up here and kind of go over what I, you know, the past few weeks I've had some takes. You know, they seem like they they're doing all right, but I got to take responsibility for my actions when I think that, uh, you know, something's going to happen with the Bills and it just doesn't go that way. So, I mean, first off, me and you both, I think a couple episodes ago, we're trying to back up the defense and say, this is a veteran group. We still got the core guys here. They can still be a top 10 defense and we'll see what happens with them. Well, they looked absolutely terrible. So I don't know if they're even close to a top 10 defense. So that's number one bad take from your boy. Um, I think you'd probably agree with me there. The, the defense looked horrible. We'll dive into that later. Yep. Number two, I've been absolutely writing and raving about Singletary. And I'm not saying, you know, everyone's going to have a bad game. And we'll get into that later as well with the, you know, the entire Bills team, I, I should say. But Singletary didn't look great Tuesday night. He didn't, he didn't look like he had the same explosiveness. He was on the field more without Moss, still hurt. Um, I've been ranting and raving about him. You know, I, I even put out a hot take the other night saying he's a top five running back in the league. He, he didn't look great. Josh Allen, I thought, didn't play as bad as people are, you know, thinking it, he played, but it was kind of a Josh Allen of last year as opposed to this year. We've been talking about how well he's been. I went over a whole stat line of him over the first four games of the season, how he's comparable to Patrick Mahomes in his 2018 season. He didn't, you know, look on top of his game Tuesday night. And then lastly, my boy Andre Roberts, um, his sole purpose to be on this team is to return punts, to return kicks. And what do you know? It didn't matter because we were already losing the game by so much. We weren't coming back, but that doesn't matter. He fumbles the ball on a kick return. Um, I know he you know, dropped that pass for the interception, but I, I never called him a wide receiver to begin with. It was more the fumble that got to me after I pretty much give him a shout out every, you know, every week on this podcast about how much I don't have to worry when he's back there returning kicks and punts. So that's a brief synopsis of me just kind of you know, taking responsibility for what I've been saying. Um, but... I guess we can get more specific now, unless you have anything else to add just on a broad scale here. That Andre Roberts was a tough look for you. Cause I mean, I think you're the number one Andre Roberts guy in the league here. And he basically had two tur- turnovers. I'm not going to accept that first uh, interception. I'm not putting that on Josh. I mean, he put that right where he needed to put it. If John Brown's playing and that's John Brown on the field, he catches that ball probably nine times out of 10. It's unfortunate. Andre Roberts had to get put in that situation, but I mean, you got to make that catch. Um, and then, you know, pretty much when the game's already said and done, he makes that fumble. So it's, you know, not a huge deal. It's not like there was a tie game or anything. But, I mean, just for your, you know, outlook and, and your reputation, that's a, that's a tough hit for you because, I mean, you're the, you're just an Andre Roberts guy. You, you get really mad. You get really vocal on Twitter about, you know, look at these guys fumbling punts. Look at, you know, this is why we keep Andre Roberts. And then he has a game like that. It's tough. It's a tough look for you. So I'm glad that you acknowledge that. But, you know, we got to move on. But I, the first thing I want to talk about um, as a whole 
and I texted you and dad about this already, kind of my analysis on this game is that to me, this, this felt like I was watching the Rex Ryan era Buffalo Bills uh, for the first time in a long time last night. The first thing that I want to talk about and that uh, we haven't seen from the Sean McDermott-led Buffalo Bills is we had 10 penalties yesterday. You know, regardless of what else happens, you can't hurt yourself and win in the National Football League. I mean, if you think about back to when we were you know, watching Rex Ryan coach this team, that was like an every-week occurrence, right? We'd have a billion penalties. Rex Ryan seems like he couldn't reel his players in. Seemed like everybody was confused. We didn't know what we were doing out there, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And and, and a lot of these were were pre-snap penalties, right? These aren't kind of false starts. These insane. yeah, these aren't like getting aggressive and you you know you do a block in the back or you know roughing the passer that's questionable because you're you're trying to get in the quarterback's grill. These are false starts. And I remember that one drive, man, when we're trying to march down and tie this game, we had three in a row, and all we we're doing is is hurting ourselves. So. Um, and I don't want to hear, and I don't want to hear that it was cause I mean, I'm not really seeing, I guess much as, but I don't, I, this is kind of a little bit separate, but kind of on the same note, I don't want to hear that any excuses because the bills had to prepare for two teams or they were uncertain about who they're playing. I don't, I don't get that. What do you mean preparing for two teams? We have another week in front of us with the chiefs. So I don't, I don't buy that excuse either. I don't understand how someone's going to say right. that we're preparing for preparing for two different teams. We have a full another week. I mean, it's like. You're playing. You're going Tuesday to Monday. That's the same as playing like a Monday to Sunday. So I mean, it, this is not an unusual rest. We have plenty of time to prepare for the Chiefs starting right now. I don't understand the preparing for two teams logic. Yeah, I know. I I agree. That's what I'm saying. But that's what a lot of people are saying. That's what analysts are saying. And then I, I just want to get this in quick. And on the other side, I, I'm sick and tired, and I will not hear one more time that the Titans didn't practice for two weeks. We get it. We said it about a thousand times on the broadcast. I saw it all over social media. And guess what? You're still a football player. You're still a professional guy. You can go out there and play the game. I think that people just put two. This is kind of getting you know a little bit sidetracked because I want I do want to talk about the game. I just this was pissing me off. I need to get off my chest. That I think a lot of people just in general, Bills and Titans fan respectively, put too much emphasis on this whole COVID situation and being uncertain. Once the game is on, the game is on, and you go out there and play, and one team played better than the other. So I, I don't want to hear about how it was a miracle that the, the Titans won because they didn't practice for two weeks and only could you know Zoom call. And I don't want to hear that the reason the Bills came out flat was because they didn't know when the game was going to be and because they didn't know who they were playing. Like you said, that's that's bullshit. So I just wanted, I just want to say that on both sides, cut it out. Yeah, and also when you don't practice for two weeks, you're also not playing, right? So you're also you're resting, resting, yeah, resting for two weeks. So I, and you I don't, don't understand and you don't that play either. like the Super Bowl, right? Don't you get two weeks after the la- like the playoffs in between the Super Bowl and the championship game? You get two weeks, right? Yeah. So it's like that, like happens in football. Yeah, but I mean they're practicing as a team. So I, I get I I, I don't. The people are saying that they're not practicing as a team. I mean, they're still talking every day. Guarantee they're on, like that you said, they're on Zoom calls. And these guys are professionals. It's not like we're it's a youth football, right? Where if you don't practice for a week, people are going to forget how to tackle. People are going to forget the playbook. I mean, this is their guys, the, these guys' job. I mean, they live and breathe football. It's not like you You're know not they don't practice speed at practice either. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I I think the two weeks honestly helps more than hurts. I mean, you get a two week bye. And so I, I agree. I'm not, I'm not buying into that and I'm not buying into either excuse. I'm, I'm on your on board there. The second thing um, I want to go over is the turnovers, three turnovers to none. 
I mean, you're just asking to lose a game that way. You know, you, you can't be minus three in a turnover differential. And it starts right there with Josh Allen, first drive. I know I already said it's not his fault. It's, it's a team effort, but you can't turn the ball over on, on that first drive there. Um, Andre Roberts has got to catch the ball. Josh Allen probably could have put it in a little better spot, but still. I, it, it's just it really, the last thing you want to do on the first drive. Exactly. And, and I even said this to a couple of my buddies, right? Because we throw that interception to Andre Roberts where he's usually not in on a four-wide receiver set. He's our sixth receiver. He doesn't usually play offense a bunch, but John Brown's out, so guys got to step up, next man up mentality. If John Brown's in, I already said this earlier, he probably catches the ball. What do you know? The Titans intercept it. They get it in the red zone right away. And then they expose us in, what, two or three plays later, throwing a um, dime down the sideline to A.J. Brown, who just absolutely wheels and deals Josh Norman, um, where if Trey White's in the game, he's on A.J. Brown all game. So right off rip, I just kind of had that weird feeling in my stomach where it seemed like all of these uh, you know, injuries that we had this week were going to cut you know, come to light and we couldn't get, we couldn't battle past these, right? We had a wide receiver go down. He dropped the replacement drops the ball for an interception. And then we have our second string corner getting absolutely dusted on their number one where Trey white would be on him like glue all day. So, you know, penalties, turnovers. And then the other thing that, you know, was absolutely super frustrating to go along with the uh, special teams that you already mentioned with the fumbling and they just had, you know, some nice punt returns that are, you know, aren't usual in the, in the McDermott uh, team. And then also the interception that Josh threw that we just forgot how to tackle the guy and he brought it all the way down to the red zone. The other thing is, is the pass rush. And I mean, Tannehill looked like Russell Wilson out there yesterday. And this guy is not athletic at all. I mean, he, 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 you should have no problem containing this guy in the pocket. He should not be run, ripping off, you know, 25-yard scrambles. And he seemed to be doing that with ease, especially around the right side. I mean, who is it? Trent Murphy? If no, it's, it's Jer- I was going to bring this up. Jerry Hughes doesn't Jerry know how Hughes, to contain. He goes inside every time. I, I mean, I don't think it's – I agree. Jerry Hughes played awful yesterday, but I don't think it's just him. I mean, we were using multiple guys on that end slot. You know, Daryl Johnson, same thing. Um you know, we didn't contain him all day. You know, we didn't, we didn't set the edge. He, he was doing whatever he wants. And then the pass rush, I'm not – the D-line played horrible, and they, I've been on him kind of all season. Every week I say the same thing. You know, I'm not impressed with anybody on that D-line so far. And I'm not just going to pin this game on them because even when we blitzed, we didn't get to the quarterback. We didn't pressure Tannehill at all. And when you have injuries to our secondary like we do – Injuries to Matt Milano. I mean, they were tearing us up over the middle at the tight end. You knew that was just going to happen. And when you have those kind of injuries in in your uh, pass defense, that's when the pass rush has to step up and, you know, get to the quarterback, make him uncomfortable. And there was none of that yesterday. Ad, Ad Oliver was a ghost. Everybody on the edge was a, was a ghost. I really can't remember anybody really stepping up on that D-line yesterday and making a play. And that's kind of been the story of all season. And so I kind of want to, you know, bring this up defensively, you know, you said this already, this isn't the same defense as we saw last year, hand up. I mean, we were confident in them. We weren't ready to give up on them yet, but I mean, this game raises a ton of question marks now going forward. Are, are, do we miss Jordan Phillips, Shaq Lawson and Lorenzo Alexander more than we thought going into the season? Cause I mean, it seems like the guys that we brought in to replace these guys, the Vernon Butler, um, you brought in, uh, what's his name out of Seattle, Jefferson, uh, Mario Addison, I mean, these guys don't look the same as the D-line that we had last year. I mean, Jordan Phillips was an absolute beast last year. It looks like we miss him a ton. 
Um, even Shaq Lawson had a better season on, on the edge than we're seeing on a lot of these guys here. And you already know I hate Trent Murphy, so I don't want to talk about him. But I just I just think this D-line and, and the pass rush in general is really, really struggling. I don't know if it's a scheme thing, personnel thing. It, something needs to be fixed now quickly because, I mean, it's the schedule does not get any easier, as I said, for the last two weeks. This is the gauntlet of our schedule, and it it's a long gauntlet, too. It's not two or three games. We got big name, big name teams after week, after week, after week coming up here. And these are high powered offenses with quarterbacks that know how to sling it. So if we're getting zero pass rush, this is going to be more of the same where people are just going to be hanging 40 burgers on us left and right. Yeah. I mean, I, what it is, is these guys that you just mentioned aren't good. Our defense just isn't good. And I don't care about these injuries. Yeah. That hurts. Obviously every team gets injured. We got put 42 points up against us. So you can't blame it on injuries because you got to figure it out at some point guys are absolutely wide open and the pass rush isn't a surprise. This is something that hasn't been there the entire year. Jerry Hughes isn't good anymore. I'm sorry. He, he, he never was really that good. In my opinion, he had a couple of good years. He had a couple of big, good, big plays in his career, whatever. But you talked about the pass rush and containing and you said it was pretty much everyone. Okay, sure. But if you go back and actually watch the, watch the game and look at the footage, it's Jerry Hughes nine out of 10 times on Tuesday night going inside move and Tamil, he gets outside and runs for 10 yards on the, on the touchdown at the end of the game. He gets outside. Micah Hyde has to come up because he doesn't know if he's going to run or not. He flips an easy pass to the tight end. So the pass rush hasn't been there. So I wasn't really surprised that wasn't there when we blitz. We can't get there. We, when we blitz for the, through the first four games season, we couldn't get there. It's just been something that we, it seems like we can't figure out. And yeah, the defense is a problem. You said it. I said it already that we thought these guys were able to bounce back. Um, I don't know. They're going to have to make a move. Uh, I, you mentioned Jordan Phillips. I don't know how he's doing in Arizona, but it looks like we miss him. So yeah, I don't know. The defense isn't good. And even when we didn't have these injuries with, you know, Milano and Trey white, and we're still getting chunk yardage plays on us throughout the whole year. And I wanted to hang on to the defense idea of them still being a good solid group, but it's really, it's really hard to say that at this point. Um, well, I, also, the the thing that I want to talk about, too, is I don't think Tremaine Edmonds looks healthy. I mean, he, he doesn't look as, you know, he doesn't look sharp out there. He's missing tackles. He doesn't look like he's playing with the same aggressiveness. I don't know if it's a psyche thing or, but I mean, he did get injured in, was it week one against the Jets? And ever since that Crowder to the house play, I feel like he hasn't been the same player. I don't yeah, know. I, yeah, I agree. I don't think he looks as good, but I just think it all stems from that upfront unit that he just... He, it's there's no help really from anyone. Like everyone looks bad because no one's playing it. So it just kind of piles up and it's just a domino effect. Um, I know that he has to be the guy that kind of, you know, brings everyone together and, and figures it out as a middle linebacker there. But when no one's playing good, it's just, it's, it's tough. The other guy I want to bring up real quick on this defense that we didn't bring up was Taron Johnson. He can't cover, he can't cover anyone like man on man. And when we have the no passers that we just talked about and you give, a guy, a quarterback, it doesn't matter who they are in the league, three seconds, two, three seconds. It, there was thousand plays on Tuesday night where the, the slot receiver, because he covers the slot usually, just goes up there, does a little slant route, and and Johnson bounces off the guy off the line of scrimmage or something, and he has all that open space. Um, So he's someone I wanted to bring up. Uh, I don't know if you want to move maybe once everyone's healthy and you have Trey White and Levi Wallace back, you move Cam Lewis into that into that spot because I didn't think he looked terrible, especially on the run game. I thought he actually was coming up and making some big tackles. Yeah. Um, but 
I don't know. I just want to specify him. And then you brought Josh Norman up earlier in, you know, in that opening sequence. <laughs> I mean, he just, uh, you know, we got to give him praise last game because he made that big force fumble and, you know, he was kind of coming back hot. It was his first game back in, in a Bills uniform. Um, first game in a while for him, but he just, he's just, he, should, he might just be old and he just might not have it anymore because he got absolutely torn up yesterday. He got exposed. He got ragdolled by Derrick Henry. He's an absolute, he's a poster now more than anything. He's just getting memed to death online because it looked like Derrick Henry was a man amongst, I mean, that was a crazy play. Um, but he, he just got, he just got manhandled the entire game. The defensive unit just needs to step it up because like you said, it seems like, you know, we're playing the chiefs next week. It seems like these guys are about to throw up 80 points on us. And if Josh Allen and the offense don't come down and score, you know, 50 points a game, it looks like we're not going to have a chance. Even when we're down uh, by, you know, a couple scores there in the second half and we're watching, you know, the offense drive down, I'm thinking, yo, like we can score here, but it doesn't matter because the defense is going to let up a 90 yard drive. And I, and I understand they had a bunch of short drives. Like you brought up punt returns back to, you know, the 20 yard line interceptions. They had great field position a lot of the time, but they also had, I think two drives of 70 plus where they capped it off with either a field goal or a touchdown. And you can just tell the defense is looking, wasn't, you know, looking good and couldn't, couldn't stop them. With that being said, this was a team loss and the defense did play horribly, but I think we maybe should transition to maybe the offense or the special teams or some other part of the game because they weren't the only, you know, part of the team that looked bad Tuesday night. Um, it, it just wasn't there from the get go. And with that being said, I mean, I, I want to talk about this offense and the main thing that pissed me off the most about this offense was just the lack of urgency. It seemed like there was zero urgency on this offense. And I'm not even talking about when, I mean, I am talking about when we're down 18 and we're taking our time on every play, but I'm also talking about when it's a zero, zero game or it's a seven, seven game, or we're down by three. I like a little pace in my offense. I think that throughout the first four games of the season or when our offense is clicking the most, it seems like we're kind of, we, we have pace and it seems like we're really engaged. At no point on Tuesday night did it seem like everyone was on the same page. It seemed like Allen was kind of in a daze. He, he was like, you saw in the one drive where he threw the terrible interception, not the one that, you know, tipped off Robert's hands, but the one where we're actually kind of driving. And it's, first of all, it's taken so long where, that's the other thing is when I feel like we're at our best, like I just said, we're going fast. We're hitting, you know, guys deep. John Brown out takes a lot out of this, but that interception to, you know, when he was looking for Gabe Davis down the left side, he just like panicked and just like threw the ball, like a perfect pass to the D back. Like they need to have like urgency and they need to seem like there, there's like something on the line here. And then the last thing, like I said, at the beginning, when we're down 18 points, it, we get the ball at the start of the fourth quarter, I think literally with 15 minutes left, like we literally had it at the very start of the quarter. We didn't score until there was like 10 minutes left on the clock. We're down by three scores. Like you have to realize that at some point you're going to have to score and you're going to have to score fast. And then you also have to realize that your defense isn't really, you know, helping you out. So if you, if you score slow and then they're going to probably go down, maybe you can hold them to a field goal, but they're going to, take a chunk of that time off the clock too. There was just no urgency and there's nothing more frustrating to me when I'm watching a football game and watching the bills than when we have no sense of the moment. And, and it was just, it was infuriating. And I think actually a big part of that is for John Brown being, being out, not being able to take the top of off the defense, not being able to you know hit those guys downfield, but I'm not making excuses about injuries. Like I said before, we have to, you had to figure it out at, at some point, every drive was taking 20 minutes. It seemed like. 
Yeah, and I don't know why because we've shown already this season that we can execute a two-minute drive. I mean, we have we've we've played no huddle perfectly. We've executed before, and I agree. I don't know. This seemed like to me the first game that we've watched this year that Dabble didn't really have a you know a, a thought-out game plan. I don't know if he was looking ahead to Kansas City, but it seems like he molds his offense week to week based on our opponent. And sure, he went in with a, an approach to start. Didn't seem like it was going super well in the first half, but then halftime, it seemed like we didn't really make any adjustments. I thought we'd come out really fast paced and, you know, throwing the ball down the field. And like you said, we were kind of dinking and dunking. I don't know if that's just because we were taking what the defense was giving us, but I mean, we really, you're right. We didn't have any pace when we needed to score in three consecutive drives. And I, I agree. I think Allen kind of panicked on that second interception he obviously was a little bit rattled to me he kind of he didn't look super comfortable um he didn't have that same kind of demeanor that he had on the first four games where he looks like he's in control even when we're losing you know when he when he when we were when he drove us down against the rams he had just this demeanor to him where he was not going to be stopped and he was not nervous at all where yesterday he looked jumpy in the pocket he definitely missed some throws his receivers definitely didn't help him out i don't know if we talked about that at all i mean there was drop after drop yeah. after drop but i i mean he definitely missed a bunch of receivers yesterday like you said he kind of looked more like the second year allen than the josh allen we've seen this year um the other the other thing i'll say is like i always talk about josh allen how he's this crazy quarterback and i like calling him an agent of chaos like that's when he's better though i think like when he like like i said yes or tuesday night where it didn't seem like there was a lot of engagement with him and it seemed like he was just kind of i don't know it seemed like he was lackadaisical to me and when he's his normal self he's kind of a crazy player like we talk about but to me that that like makes him better like that's who he is he's gonna make he when he's out there trying to make plays, when he's trying to lateral the ball crazily and we're all going nuts, it seems like those are the drives where we end up scoring the touchdowns. And that seems like those are the drives where we end up coming back in the fourth quarter as opposed to taking five minutes off the clock, you know, given what, given, taking what the defense has given us, whatever it is, but then he ends up throwing a terrible pick. Like, it seems like he needs to just be out there and just and just running amok. I don't know. I don't know if it's that's, that's just me, but like it I don't seems know. like he's just better when he's just like doing his thing as opposed to sitting there and and doing these little passes and then it ends up with with an interception or something. Yeah, I don't know. To me though, did not seem like yesterday that we were just fatigued, especially in the offensive that's what, side. Yeah, of the ball. that's what I mean. It didn't we didn't have any jump. Yeah, I, I just thought that we looked tired all the time. You know, we'd get out on the field on offense, we'd run a couple of plays, and everybody looks like they're winded. I don't know if it was the, the weather. Or the, I don't know. It just seemed like we were very unprepared for this game. We seemed surprised at everything that the Titans threw at us, both sides of the ball. Um, and I just didn't think we looked prepared. I mean, I think it starts with the coaching there. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to call it McDermott here. I, I think this was probably his worst game as a Buffalo Bills head coach since, since he took over. Um, I mean, it's just embarrassing. It's an embarrassing effort. Um, I don't think anybody played particularly well. Borg was had a pretty nice game. He was absolutely booting the ball. <laughs> Borg has did have a nice game. I mean, I mean, but that's just that's just the story of the game. When your punter's your best player, you're going to get smoked forty-two to sixteen. And so that's what happened. You know, looking forward here, this is a burn the tapes game. You know, this is there. Like I was saying earlier, it's hard to find positive in that game. And if we were looking ahead, then there should be no excuses coming mo- coming Monday because we want, you know, if, if this team is what they say they are, and you hear a lot in the post game, you know, you hear Josh Allen talking, you know, we're not going to, we weren't going to be perfect this year. It's only one game. 
you know, this the season isn't over. You know, I think Mika Hyde said some something similar, which you like to hear. You like to hear that out of your captains, out of your leaders. So let's burn this tape here. Let's forget about what happened. And I think you know you'd like to think that this lights a fire under under the boys here. Um, if this team is going to be, you know, an AFC championship caliber team, a top seed in the AFC, this is when you bounce back. I mean, you look at the Chiefs season in 2019, I'm pretty sure they rattled off three losses in a row. And I think they, you know, they weren't like, I don't know if they got blown out as bad as we did, but they lost three games in a row. Um, and yeah. so I think the sign of a good team is is right is how you bounce back. It's not. I think I think most teams are going to have these weird games. I mean, you watch the Patriots on their Super Bowl years. They have they get blown out every once in a while, and that's when you know the Trent Dilfer's and those ESPN analysts come and say the Patriots are dead, and that's when the Patriots kind of just use that as bulletin board material and come back firing the next week and show that they're not going anywhere. They're just as good as anybody. And you know we like to say this every week, right? It's hard to win in this league. And, you know, when people are saying, you know, we're only winning by this much and you can't complain about a win. Well, newsflash, when you lose by 30 or you lose by three, it looks the same at the end of the season when your record comes. Right. So I don't care. You know, we lost by 30 and it was horrible. And everybody, the national, you know, landscape saw this game. But it's a loss. And we were we're not we weren't expecting. I don't think any Bills fan was expecting to go 16 and 0. So. And I think going into these next couple games, especially look at Titans Chiefs, if I said to you, we split those games, would you be happy? I would say yes. So I think it's time to put a hard hats on and show. I mean, the Chiefs, the Chiefs just lost to the Raiders, who we beat. And the Chiefs almost lost to the Patriots without, or I didn't want to say they almost lost, but it was a closer game than a lot of people expected against the Patriots with Brian Hoare as a quarterback. I don't think the the Chiefs are um, you know, these these got this godly team that's untouchable by any means, but they're good and they're very good. I mean, they're Super Bowl champions. So if this if the Bills are for real, they use this game as fuel. They strap their hard hats hats on at practice, look each other in the mirror, look each other in the eyes and say, We're gonna go win this football game on Monday. No excuses. And they win a football game when they're not supposed to. And the NFL, you know, it's a it's a league it's a parody league. Everybody, it's professional football, and football's a funny game. One or two bounces go one way, and one team wins. One or two calls go one way, and the other team wins. So I, you know, I don't. I'm not down. I'm not counting this team out. Do I think we are a little bit, you know, a little bit on our high horse there? And the Titans knocked us down back to earth. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, let's better. prove ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a week to week league. You know, any week, anything can happen. Like you just said. Um, it, there might be people out there. Maybe we're overacting a little bit with what we're saying, but it, you know, it's it's what it's what what it is. You know, we got absolutely spanked. It might have been a little. It might have been better. You know, if or I guess it wouldn't have been as bad if it, you know we're gonna lose at some point, right? We're not gonna go undefeated, but it just would have been nice if we didn't get spanked forty-two to sixteen. And that might be why we're like overreacting about certain facets of the game a little bit more than you know we should. We're obviously we're still four and one. We're still, you know, leading the division, which, you know, I want to bring up. Um, so, yeah, I, we got to bounce back. That's exactly right. The, the thing that scares me, you also kind of brought it up there too a little bit, is the mentality that we want to have for this Bills team about bouncing back. 
the same thing is going on over there in Kansas City. And that's a scary sight when you have Patrick Mahomes who loses the game to the Oakland Raiders where probably 100% of the public thought they were going to win more than you know people thought the Bills were going to win this game. So they have that same mindset but, right now. But as, I'm excited for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing who's got, you know, the, the bigger pair of balls on them. And I, I'd like to see say that I'm still hype about this Bills team. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care that we just lost by 30. I still think that there's a lot of dogs on this team. And I just, I just really think that a lot of people are going to pick the Chiefs to blow us out. But I, don't, I wouldn't count us out yet. No, I, I don't I'm, know. I, I mean, I'm not I'm canceling the season. Well, no, that no, absolutely not. No one ever said we're canceling this. You know, that's what I'm saying. We're still four and one. It was just a tough loss that we took that made it seem like a little bit people are overreacting a little bit more than they should. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, I'm excited to to have. He's got the bigger set of balls. I'm just a little bit worried that they lost to the Raiders and they're gonna be coming back hot. Anyway, silver lining before we get into this pr- predictions and preview of the Chiefs game, your boy is still 100 percent on his predictions. So. I know we lost that game, but I predicted us to lose. So, and that same thing from the from the pregame or from the preseason episode that we did with Trent and Jake, I had us losing this one from the get go. Um, so, I mean, hey, if you're looking, you know, for a little prediction action, I'm still 100 percent on the season. With that being said, we do have the Chiefs next week at five o'clock on Monday. So, let's get into talking about that game. We kind of outlined their situation a little bit, and we we all know what's good with the Chiefs. But as terms of this specific game goes. Um, hopefully it's a nail biter. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I think it's probably going to be a high scoring game. And as much as you just said, you know, about talking about putting the hard hats on and bouncing back here. Um, I just don't know if I have faith in the defense necessarily. I I think the offense will bounce back. I think that the offense, um, will get it together. I hope John Brown plays. I think that's a crucial part of this offense, obviously. Um, but I, I think it'll be a closer game. Like, I don't think we're going to be losing by 30 points. I don't think that we're going to you know, be winning by 30 points either. I think it'll be a little bit of a closer game, maybe a touchdown or field goal difference. Um, but I don't know. I, I just don't have faith in this defense until they show me, um, you know, that they, they can turn things around, that they can shock the system in some way, that they can get another guy in there. I don't know. Something needs to be done. Like we talked about with this, with this defense, can we get healthy? I don't know how far Matt Milano's out. I don't know how far Trey White's out but health is a big part of this defense. Um, but I don't love our chances of bouncing back this week against the best offense in the league, in my opinion. So that's what scares me the most. Um, I'm absolutely not out on this Bills team. I want to make that clear before you know you roast me over there or say something that you think I'm giving up. There, there's absolutely no way. I had this team going 11-5 at the beginning of the year, and that's still very much on track. Um, but... For me, at least for me, I, I got the Bills losing this game again. Um, I do think it it's going to be a tough one. And, and and I do think we do bounce back, and I, I think it gives us life for the rest of the season. I think it shows Bills fans and the national media and national people out there that the Titans game was a fluke and that we're not that team. But I don't think that we get the win because I think the Chiefs are coming off the same thing after losing to the Raiders. They have something to prove as well. Um, uh, I'll go with a, a final score of... 35 to 28. I think they get us by a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of gave a, a little uh, hype speech there, I feel like, before we got into this prediction. But sadly, I think I'm going to predict them to lose as well. Um, I don't think we're going to lose as bad as we did to the Titans. I think water seems to always find its level when it comes to the NFL, especially when you have a game like that. 
Um, I think it's going to be a closer game than people expect. Um, both teams, like you were talking about, are going to come out firing, looking to redeem themselves. You know, sadly, I just think we it's going to come down to, I think, a few injury reports. If Trey White doesn't play, it's going to be dark. Um, I'm already not expecting Matt Milano to be out there, but I just think it's going to be a even, good old. I'm not even like focus on injuries though, because they probably have guys out. That's just the way the league goes. You know, I mean, I don't think my prediction changes much if those guys are healthy, to be honest. To be honest, Sam, I think Trey White is a huge factor on this defense. I mean, well, obviously, but he hasn't even played that well this year. I I I think it's a it's a major factor, and they have a lot of weapons over there. I don't know who's sticking with Tyreek Hill. It's really hard for me to think about how we're going to get a few stops on defense. I agree. I think I think we're going to lose by a touchdown. I think Josh Allen. I'm not. You know, I'm not counting him out yet. I think he's going to come out firing. I love how we are at home because um, the Chiefs do allow fans in Arrowhead. I don't care how many people are in there. It's not a fun place to play. Uh, so I think we're going to feel a little bit more comfortable. We know when we're playing. There's going to be no excuses as far as we don't know when our game is. We there should be no excuses on preparing for two different teams. We know who we're playing. We know when we're playing. I think the coaches are going to get us ready. So I do think it's going to be close, like I said. So I think we're going to lose by a touchdown. I'm going to predict us to lose 31 to 24. Um, and I just think the Chiefs, you know, I don't, I just don't think they're going anywhere. And I still think they're the team to beat in the AFC. Um, but yeah, it's going to be another high scoring uh, football game. Yeah. And I, and one more thing before we move on, um, just because you know we both got a Chiefs win here, but I, like like I said in my you know synopsis there, this isn't this shouldn't be you know if we do lose this game and and I also want to you know point out that I think we can very we're very much capable of winning this game. I just that's just my prediction this week that I think you know they'll lose by a touchdown. It could go either way. Obviously, it could either week. Um, but if we do lose this game, I don't I don't want you know people even more upset than they are today or this week after this Titans game. If you ask a lot of the Bills fans before the season started, they probably think that we're going to lose this Chiefs game regardless. It just sucks that we lost this Titans game in such the fashion that we did right before playing the defending Super Bowl champs. And now this gives everyone a chance to kind of pile on and, you know, say, you know, how this team's falling apart or whatnot. It is also important, though, to mention, I think it depends how this game goes down. I think, you know, we both went over our predictions and we both think that we bounce back a little bit and it's a tight game. So if it goes down that way, I think more people will be back on board and, and then we have the Jets the next week after that. So, I mean, if we lose that one, it, then you can start really, you know, start really worrying. But if we, if we, if we're in this game, if we're in this game all the way to the fourth quarter and we don't get blown out and I hate, I know I hate that mindset to have like going into a game being like, Oh, if, as long as we don't get blown out, it, it's okay. But at the same time, we just have to come back and, and show something that that was a fluke of a game against the Tennessee Titans because I mean, we just didn't play good, plain and simple. It's called spade a spade here. So let's bounce back. Let's, you know, put ourselves in a position to win. And I don't like a lot of quarterbacks, you know, more than Josh Allen in the fourth quarter. I still think he's a top, you know, seven quarterback in the league regardless. So um, we'll see how that one goes down. But hopefully both you and I are wrong on our predictions and we bounce back and go to five and one on the year. Uh, but I think that kind of puts a tie. It puts a bow on, on that game, that Titans game and the Chiefs prediction for the Bills um, this week. Uh, and then at the beginning of the episode, like we said, we do have some Buffalo Sabres news. This is actually a little bit more of the positive notes. I know that was a little bit more, you know, negative for the Bills. But, hey, 
if we're taking some positive pill, some positive Sabres news here in October before the season starts, because it's, you know, the off season free agency going I'll I'll freaking take it. And the biggest thing here, and obviously everyone listening probably knows this, but the Sabres did end up signing Taylor Hall, the big fish on the free agent market this year to a one-year deal at $8 million. Now, this is probably one of the most surprising things that has happened to a Buffalo sports team in the past five years. And I know that's like a huge window that I just laid out there, like five years. But if you would have asked me what my thoughts or chances were about landing Taylor Hall and the Buffalo Sabres um, th- this offseason, regardless of how good you think he is or regardless if you think he's overrated, underrated, whatever your case may be, he was by far the most you know sought-after free agent this year. I would have said 0%. I mean, you, you, there's a text between Ethan, you and me, where I was going to post it the other day, where I literally said, you know, it was, I think it was Darren Dreger or someone who was like, yeah, Sabres are going to be one of the teams that presents Taylor Hall. And I was literally saying to you, I was just like, there's an absolute 0% chance that we get this guy and you, and you completely agreed with me. Um, I just didn't see this coming. I don't think anyone did. Um, but you didn't see it coming either, did you? Absolutely not. And I mean, you, you summarized it perfectly there. He was the most sought after free agent on the market this year. Um, everybody had, you know, him going to Colorado, New York, maybe Boston, a big market with a team that's in kind of a win now mode. Maybe they're a player away from making that next step. And I think, you know, the Taylor Hall personality to me, I don't, you know, I don't really know much about this guy before he started doing those interviews with the Sabres, which kind of flipped my mindset on him. But to me, like from an outsider's point of view, he kind of had like a Panarin vibe to me where he wasn't even going to consider going to a team that was a smaller market like Buffalo or, you know, more of like a rebuild type of team. He wanted to be the guy in the bright lights in a big city, big market. So, you know, I really didn't consider him at all. And I thought that he was going to go in expecting with a big, big salary with a big term. Um, The Sabres gave him that big salary, but, Ended up only signing for one year. Um, And to be honest, I kind of love that for both sides. I think it works out really nicely. Um, If you look more into this deal, because I think initially initially when that news came out that he signed with the Sabres, a lot of people around the league were surprised, obviously for the reasons that I just listed there. But if you dig more into it and you think about it a little bit, I think it really does make sense. Um, And I think you really got to give a hat tip to and a stick tap to Coach Kruger. I mean he seemed like the driving force behind the signing. And, you know, you, you, you say what you want about his on-ice decision-making. I know that you don't love a lot of this, this just decisions he makes regarding who plays with who, his lineup decisions, who's in or out of the lineup. You know, if we're going 7D on a nightly basis, I know that drives you absolutely insane. But he seems to be a guy that the players like. And guys that play for him really kind of gravitate to, towards him. And you, you hear Jack Eichel talk about him, who I think's a big fan of him. And you hear, um, you know, some of his past players like, you know, Whitney on Spittin' Chicklets, he used to play for him and he talks highly of Kruger. He seems like a guy that players really get up for. They're interested in hearing. They'll, you know, they'll go the extra mile for him. So I think he was a huge factor in pulling Taylor Hall to Buffalo. And the one-year deal. I mean, if you look at Taylor Hall's stats and his progression over the past few years, I mean, he statistically had one of his worst seasons of his career last year when he split time between Jersey and Arizona. So, I mean, he had that MVP caliber year, what was it, two or three seasons ago? 
and he's kind of been declining since then. So I think maybe a lot of teams, especially in this COVID era offseason, were kind of hesitant to give him that big, you know, six or seven year contract that that he's probably looking for that eight million, eight to nine million a year. Um, so maybe he wasn't getting those offers that maybe he expected to be getting. So if he's saying, all right, I got to go play one year in kind of a weird season because this season's going to start in January. So it's kind of almost like a lockout esque season. Um, he's maybe thinking, I'm going to go play for a guy that I'm comfortable with in a, in a situation that's begging, begging, begging for a playoff hockey team. Um, go play with a guy like Jack Eichel, who, if you think about it, Taylor Hall's never been um, kind of the second option, right, on any of those on any of the teams he's played for. Um, did he play with McDavid, actually? I should have checked that. No, no, no. Yeah, so he got traded before McDavid came to the Oilers. So, he, you know, in, in New Jersey, he was the guy. In Arizona, he he was pretty much the guy they traded him. Um, but now he's clearly not the guy. You know, he's he's the number two to Jack Eichel, and I don't think he's played with, like, a playmaker like Jack Eichel. So he's probably thinking, I'm going to come to Buffalo for a year. I'm not going to have this pressure, that automatic pressure, if I went to a, a Boston-type uh, place where they're expecting me to come in and produce and take this team to the Stanley Cup, where I'm going to come in and be the number two to a guy that's unbelievable, uh, arguably a top-five player in this league, and one of the best playmakers in this league, I would add. And I'm going to play right next to him, play on his power play, score 40 goals, maybe take this this team to the playoffs, and the city will absolutely love me. And then come the offseason, I'm going to have a much better case for getting that six to seven years for that $8 million a year that I was looking for this offseason. So I think it's kind of a win-win for both sides. The Sabres don't have to take on this big contract if it doesn't work out for him, right? It could easily go the opposite way where he doesn't put up those numbers or he gets hurt. So, I mean, I, there's definitely risk on, on the Hall side, but I, I think it's a great, great deal for the Sabres. Let's, you know, keep Jack Eichel around. I think Jack Eichel's got to be ecstatic about this. Um, so it's kind of a, you know, feel me out on both sides. And maybe if it works, Taylor Hall's already saying, if it works out here, he's, not, he's, he's looking to sign a, a deal. So if the Sabres have the cap room for him, I think they'll probably make a move if it works out, kind of like a Skinner situation. So I really love it. I mean, how could you hate it right now in the Sabres? I think if you if you told any Sabres fan going into this offseason that we're going to end up signing Taylor Hall, but you didn't tell them the term or the contract or whatever, they would take that 10 times out of 10. And so I really, I really think you got to be excited about it. Do I think the Sabres are automatic playoff team now? I still say no, which is crazy. but. I think they're very, think very close. Crazy. I, I think they're close. And I mean, if Taylor Hall performs anywhere close to uh, his, you know, his high end potential, especially if you put him with a Jack Eichel, I think we're pretty, pretty close to being right there. Um, like I, I texted you earlier and you, I think you agree with me is I really hope this doesn't give the front office any uh, reason to stop improving this team until the start of the season. There's still a few holes that they really need to plug up. If we're going to talk about playoffs uh, seriously. So that's kind of my take. I don't know if you had anything to add to that. Well, I mean, the, just the one thing I want to say here is about Taylor Hall signing in Buffalo is like, I, I was absolutely, absolutely shocked. Like I said, but it, it's just something that you like, as a say, like, I want to talk more, I guess, more from like the fans perspective here. Like 
if for some reason you don't like this move or whatever, like this is exactly what the Sabres, they needed to do something like this. Like they were, obviously there's been so much turmoil over in, in this organization over the past year, just with fans and, and just everything going on, talking about how we needed top, another top six forward so bad before this franchise absolutely dies. So this is just something that the, like the Sabres and Kevin Adams and this whole new staff around the Sabres, needed to do they needed to make some type of splash regardless if it, you can't even I, I don't even like talking about like whether it's going to work out or not yet because obviously you want it to work out obviously you want them to have an unreal season take them to the playoffs like you talked about maybe sign an extension and get a nice core group of players here he's still only 28 years old so it's not like he's super old he can still be around for uh, you know big majority of these young guys careers that we have on our team uh, I, whatever that'd be awesome but my thing here is just that the sabers need to do something like this and so if for some reason you're unhappy about this, you're saying, oh, you, you, you paid him too much for his production over the past couple of years, or it's only for one year, what's the point? We're going to trade him at the deadline when we suck anyway. Like, if you're thinking about it that way, like, you can never complain again because you, you're probably the same type of person who's complaining about us not trading for a guy like Taylor Hall during the year or complaining that we'll never have the chance to sign a Taylor Hall in the, in the offseason. Well, now it actually happened. So now that he's actually here, you're just finding any you know part to nitpick about this move. I like you said, if you if you ask any Saber fan, regardless of the term or anything, like you just want good players. Like at some point, you just need good players on your team, and you need to find a way to make it happen. And so he was by far the biggest fish on the market. He was the one that it's the one forward free agent that everyone was going to go after, and it was the biggest splash in free agency out of any team, in my opinion, that anyone's made. You know, so. I, I love the move. I, I was completely shocked. I was happy shocked. There's people out there saying, you know, my friends that are fans of other teams saying it doesn't make sense. You know, one year, why does it make sense for the team? Or why does it make sense for Taylor Hall? Um, well, hey, guess what? The Sabres got him, buddy. So that's all that matters here. The Sabres had to do it. They had to get do something, get their fans back interested and give this team hope. That I think that's the big thing here is this gives the Sabres hope about having a legitimate NHL team to put on the ice. Because now if you look at our top six here, you actually have you know a solid top six, in my opinion. Maybe an aging stall is the only weak factor. But with an Olofsson, Reinhardt, you know, I'm still big on Reinhardt. I know a lot of people aren't, but I think he can be a top six. Eichel, obviously, now you got Hall and you still got Skinner and you bring in Stahl as well. So the bottom six might leave a little, little bit of work, but you, know, you have an MVP guy in Hall like we just signed. You know what Eichel brings to the table. You know what Olsen did last year. You know Skinner can put up numbers as well. So this just gives us hope, I think, is the main thing that I want to address here. So if you don't like the signing as a Sabres fan, you're looking for something to complain in, you got a big dump in your pants, and that's all I got to say about that. Um, other free agent signings we made before this one, I don't know if we made any sense to Taylor Hall, uh, Taylor Hall signing, actually, but we made other signings. Uh, Tobo- Tobias Ryder, I believe, from Calgary. And then Cody Eakin from, he played on Vegas and Winnipeg last year, I believe, which a lot of people were, you know, not very happy about these signings. Um, but then when, you know, we whip out the big Taylor Hall one and everyone forgets about it. I don't know much about these guys. I, I do know more about Cody Eakin than the other guy. I know that, you know, he's, it, a lot of people were hating on him, mainly the stat nerds, I guess, were hating on him because they, you know, they love bringing out that that chart, which I have no idea what it means. I, I feel like an absolute idiot when I look at those charts with the, you know, the bar graphs on them about their play. Um, but they, I guess Cody Eakin didn't have a good one. I know that he's been on a, on a Vegas Golden Knights team that went deep in the playoffs. He got a decent amount of playing time there. Um, he played in Dallas. I mean, he's played on good teams in his career, and it seems like he's a guy that, you know, teams go after. 
um, at the trade deadline when they're kind of contending for, you know, a depth guy. So um, I don't know. I'm not really, I don't really have too many thoughts on him, I guess. I'm not like too ecstatic about him, but I'm not going to, you know, write him off yet before I see him, you know, play. But I also could see him, you know, also being like a fro leak. So it doesn't really, it doesn't really yeah. give me, you know, it doesn't really tinkle me too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. I'm not too excited about either guy. Um, you know, if you ask me, I'd probably rather have Cahoon over any of these guys. So mm-hmm. I think one thing we, we, we'd be real remiss if we left out is that we didn't tenure or tender uh, a qualifying offer to Dominic Cahoon, who I think, you know, we traded for towards the end of the season last year, and a lot of Sabres fans really liked what they saw out of him. Could be a nice, you know, third-line guy in the team. Uh, so so kind of weird move there. Um, but, you know, Cody Eakin, he, he did score over 20 goals two seasons ago. Um, but like you were saying, I mean, he kind of had a rough year last year. He's getting older. He's only 29, but I could easily see, like, I think you said it perfectly, I could easily see, easily see him being a fro-leak type. Um, is he an upgrade over at Larson? Because we didn't, you know, sign Larson. He's over, I believe, in Phoenix, or sorry, Arizona now. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully, I don't know. Is he going to kill penalties? Is he going to be fast? I don't know. Um, to me, these are, you know, these are signings that doesn't really get my juices flowing. The bottom six is looking kind of weak. I'll be honest with you. There's a ton of question marks. You know, is Tage Thompson going to make the team this year? Is Casey middle better? Make- dude, if Tage Thompson better make the team after we just gave him like a decent deal. Like I, I'm not going to be paying him that much to watch him in Rochester. Right? Like, yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, I think that was a deal that hopefully he gets better and the, that, that thing becomes a bargain in a couple of years. But I want him to start on the Sabres, at least if we're, if we're getting him that deal to kind of prove himself. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got to improve if he's going to make this team. Um, and then, you know, like I said, is Casey Middlesex going to make this team? I don't know. Um, Dylan Cousins, is he going to make this team? I hope so, too. I mean, he's, he's the high-profile guy now. And you'd like to hopefully see him take over that 2C role from Stahl so is you know maybe he starts on that bottom six, and then the fourth line. I think you got a lot of guys you could plug in there. You got you know Okposo and uh, who else? Gergensons who Gergensons, resigned and resigned. Lazar who we just resigned. But you know I, I don't know those two guys. Do they improve your bottom six <laughs> based on their production? I don't really see it. But maybe they add a little more jam. Maybe they add a little more experience. Uh, maybe they add a little more grit. I don't know. Only time will tell. Like you said, I'm not, you know, we're not analytics guys. I'm with you. When I look at those graphs, I take two seconds and I'm like, what is going on? These, you know, these stats that they're throwing out mean nothing to me. I'm more of a, you know, gut guy when I watch hockey, especially. I mean, if you're an analytics guy for hockey, I think there's, you know, there's so many different factors that go into that. And I don't, I don't know. I don't usually buy into a lot of that stuff. So, um, We'll see. We'll see what they bring to the table. I'm not excited for it. But moving on, uh, the NHL draft also happened in in this past week, right? Yeah. The Sabres selected eighth overall in the 2020 draft, right? You know, right around that range that we seem to pick every year. Um, We ended up selecting um, Jack Quinn. Jack Quinn. Sorry. I had a little brain fart there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that another guy like this is a good transition because is Jack Quinn gonna come out of out of nowhere and make the team this year? Who knows? But like you said, we drafted him eighth overall. Um, 
he was from the OHL. He played in the Ottawa 67s team, and he had 52 talks in that league uh, last year. So, I mean, he's an absolute goal scorer. But I think the the main point contention or the main thing we want to bring up with the draft here is that it seemed like a lot of fans didn't like this pick, eh? Um, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that were mad. And, like, we were talking about it. Um, come NHL draft time, seems to happen every year. You get, you know, I'm not going to lie, me and you, we kind of tune in. Maybe, you know, the, I mean, we tune in the day of, obviously, but we, we don't usually even know, like, who these players are usually until the morning of the draft where I, you know, do my Google search and say, oh, who the Sabres, you know, you know projected a draft. So, for the, and I guarantee most of these people are doing the same. And you're lying to yourself if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan that you're watching OHL hockey or college hockey or European hockey on a daily basis. It is so different than the NFL draft where, College football is it's nationally televised and it's yeah, nationally it's televised. You, you don't see you don't see OHL games on the TV like it's those are hard to find. Like you probably can find them, but you're probably streaming them on Reddit or if you're you know, if you're that diehard, it's just I mean, you're an absolute psycho in the first place if you're doing that. Yeah. But, so the, the thing I wanted to say, like, is is a lot of the fans, right, are upset about this Jack Quinn pick and that we didn't take this Marco Rossi guy who is Quinn's teammate on, on the auto 67s in the OHL. I like to call these guys couch scouts because these guys are people that, you know, read one article. Like you said, when we, you know, come to the draft the day of, we put on NBCSN, we're sitting on our couch. These guys read a, read an article 15 minutes before the draft saying that Rossi's the guy that the Sabres should get. If, if he's there at eight and they shouldn't get anyone else. And then we pick Quinn and everyone, you know, runs amok. And I, th- like, I just want to say that, I'm not like, I don't know who, like, that's, I guess my whole point is like, I don't know who's going to be good. And like, either do you, like, I don't know, like Rossi could be the better player in, in the, in the years to come. Quinn could be the better player in the year to come. This Perfetti guy could be the, the better player in the year to come. But to you fans out there that are making it sound like it's the end of the world and that the Sabres made the absolute wrong pick here. It happens every year where we don't know how these guys pan out. Like they do these things on Twitter every year, the NHL account where they say, Oh, like this, like, let's look at the top 10. If the 2012 draft was, you know, redrafted and they're shuffled around so much. Like you said, it's not like the college football or, or NFL. Like it's not like football where you're watching these guys and you kind of have a better grip on them. I'm sorry, but you're just not watching every Ottawa 67s game that goes out there. And by the way, like just from a straight bird's eyes perspective, when you pick Jack Quinn, I mean, all the, the only thing I knew about him is that he had 52 goals last year. And this Rossi guy that everyone wanted to pick, again, uh, pick before him, I think he had more points than Quinn. But he only assisted on 14 of Quinn's goals. They didn't even play on the same line. So it's not like this guy was making him as a player. That's the, the biggest, you know, the most analysis I have on him. It's just, it just kind of grinds my gears and it gets me so rattled because I'm sitting here as a fan. I'm not acting like I'm an analyst. I'm not acting like I'm a scout. I think even, you know, this isn't really geared towards the analysts, but I think even those guys sometimes, you know, you're probably not watching every game either. Um, but I'm, I'm a fan here too. And, and from a fan's perspective, if you're kind of, you know, making a scene and stirring the pot on Twitter about this is, you know, who knows who, who could become the best player out of these two guys? No one knows. And I'm, really pulling for Quinn now. I hope everyone else is obviously, but I'm even pulling for him now just to like shove it in these fans faces who think they know after reading, like, like I said, one article 20 minutes before the draft happens. Yeah. I mean, 
you you just you just love hating on the fans. When it comes to Sabres fans, it's like one of the they biggest tr- rivalries is Dude, you versus Sabres fans. I they just trigger me. I I don't know why they get me where that you know uh, they say the term mad online and they get me mad online when Sabres fans get me going. I I mean sometimes I agree with them, sometimes I don't. It seems like I don't agree with them more than not. But I just hate when people act like they know something where they have really no you know expertise in it and, and this is one of the biggest things that it comes down to it happens every year with the nhl draft is it's to me it's one of the biggest crapshoots out of any you know draft so just act you know stay in your lane is what i gotta say yeah i mean the, the funny part is too i mean most of these guys we're not even going to see in the league for the next two to three years anyway so um yeah, I, I have no. The only thing I care about is when we when we draft is if we're drafting a position of need or or something you know something that right. you know a guy that's gonna you could see stepping in our lineup based on where we're at. So like if we would have taken a goalie there, or I'm not saying that we have great goalies, but I, we need scoring. So yeah. you take a guy that scores like you were saying, fifty two goals in the OHL. I don't know how you can really complain about that. So yeah, for the record, I would have been fine with Rossi too. Like that's not what I'm saying here. I'm not being the other side of it, being like, no, Quinn was the right pick. I'm saying I don't know, so I would have been fine with either of them. Exactly, and I'm I'm on the same page. So we'll see what Jack Quinn's got down the line. Um, but I don't know. Do you have anything else to add to that? I think that's pretty much wraps it up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to dive into, you know, any more of the NHL, NHL draft. I don't think we have really much knowledge on that. And, um, you know, wh- whatever. It's not not a huge topic to dive into. But, yeah, I think that wraps everything up. You know, tough one against the Titans Tuesday night. Just, uh, you know, just an absolute pumping. But, hey, get it out of our system now. And, and we move forward to the Chiefs Monday night. Um we got a better broadcasting crew also for that Chiefs game. We got Joe Buck on the horn, so I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of digging that. Him and Troy Aikman will be there for the Chiefs Bills game, which I which I like to see. I'm not a huge Jay Feely guy. I don't think a lot of Bills fans are. Um, Sabres signed Taylor Hall. You know, if you're mad about that, I don't really have anything to say to you. He was the biggest fish on the market, and somehow he came to Buffalo. So cheers to that. And then we'll see how the rest of the Sabres pan out with. Um, free agency let's see if they make any more moves before the before the season starts i think it's said to start in january but we'll you know we'll retrace that when it gets a little bit closer um but yeah other than that i uh, think that wraps it up go bills go sabers have a great week everybody we'll see you uh we'll see you next tuesday hopefully um we're talking to you about a bills win over the defending super bowl champions so have a great week everybody and and we'll see you next time where is the moment when Kick up the leaves and the magic is lost Tell me your blue skies fade to grey Tell me your passion's gone away And I don't need no care or You stand in the line just to hit a new low You're faking a smile with the Yeah.